And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. Comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, we'll find out who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men on The Shadow from 1942. Then it's part one of the Doris Day Show, starring Doris Day and guest Kirk Douglas from 1952. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? And look who's over there. Who's that? Mike Costello. I'm over here. How are you? I'm good. And we're actually in a new studio that Lisa bought us. I, I was just about to talk about that. I really wasn't happy with the way the old studio was looking, so I figured... Well, the old new studio, because that fi- was a new studio. Now, this is the, the creme de la creme. My gosh, Lisa. What are you I just do? burning through money? Well, I do it for you, Carl. You're a rich I care girl. About you. And I don't. Uh, how does that go? You're a rich girl. <laughs> well, the, I can't really say it's got some bad words in it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hall and Oates. Recently saw them on tour. They were really? fantastic. Yeah. Impressive. All right. Are you ready for The Shadow? Always. One of radio's most popular mystery detective shows. And uh, Orson Welles was radio's first Lamont Cranston. He started playing Lamont Cranston, alias The Shadow, in 1937, the same year that you were born, Lisa. Agnes Moorhead played the lovely Margot Lane. And uh, The Shadow, who was actually Lamont Cranston, had learned the secret of invisibility by clouding men's minds. Women's minds, too. It's a little more difficult, though, to cloud the women's minds. And he used this power to fight crime. After Orson Welles, uh, Bill Johnstone played the shadow, then John Archer, and then Brett Morrison. I think I was the only guy that didn't play the shadow. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Margot Lane was the only person who knew his true identity and ran on radio until 1954. And then there was a 1994 movie that starred Alec Baldwin. But we have an episode now of The Shadow starring Bill Johnstone. It's called Death Speaks Twice. It's from February 15, 1942. Here's part one now of The Shadow. Adventures of the Shadow are on the air. Brought to you each week at this time by your neighborhood blue coal dealer. 
These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. The Shadow, mysterious character who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Several years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret. The secret of hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, Death Speaks Twice. The time, nearly midnight. The place, the state penitentiary. Thousands of weary bodies and tortured souls have found temporary refuge in sleep. Suddenly, from one of the cell blocks, the silence is disturbed by... Framed. Framed. You were framed, Paul. Shut up. Shut up, will you? You yeller. You were framed and you know it. And you're afraid to do anything about it. What is there to do about it? I won't be out of here for two more years. Maybe yes. Maybe no. Meaning? Meaning I found a way out of this cracker box pen. No. No, I told you before, I... I'm not going to break out of here. So you want to do your full time, huh? Just an honest embezzler. For the last time, I'm telling you I had nothing to do with any embezzlement. Sure, Paul, sure, I know. Your Uncle George Barto framed you. And you're too scared to do anything about it. But I'm going to do something. Something to pay him back for the life rap he gave me. Now, talk is cheap. Yeah, you're right. But once we're outside... Sorry, Marty. I said I wasn't interested in escape. Okay. Have it your way, then. Good night, kid. Good night. Ah. Prison beds are hard, ain't they, kid? Yeah. Yeah. Say, uh... It's too bad about that good-looking dame whose picture you got on the wall there. Peggy Sanders? What about her? Suppose I were to tell you that I know she's Judge Bartow's ward. Where'd you find that out? Oh, there's ways, even in prison. Suppose I told you that I heard that your girlfriend, Peggy, is going to marry your stepbrother next week. Going to marry Edwin? Oh, no. No, no. She wouldn't, she... She loves me. Maybe your uncle, the good judge, used some pressure. Maybe he's forcing her to marry Edwin. (laughs) It shouldn't be too hard now to talk her out of marrying a jailbird. Shut up, Marty. Shut up. Okay, okay. So I'm talking too much, eh? (laughs) Ah, Good night, kid. You know, you're a fool to try to make that prison break, Marty. (laughs) Strictly. Yeah. You think? You can make it? I told you it was a cinch. All right. I'm going with you, Marty. There's something I've got to attend to outside. All right, fall out, men. All right, kid. Everything's set. When it starts, we head for the far wall under the watchtower. I don't see how we're going to get away with it. And I watch it. The screws keep moving. Right. Now, here's the way we work it. We're going to get a little help from the boys. When I give them the signal, they're going to start a little commotion down at that end of the yard. Yeah. That's our cue to head for the watchtower. We won't even be noticed. The guards will be busy with that phony fight. Uh Uh-huh. Now, this is it, kid. All right, boys. 
Keep it. Gotcha. Hey, you, keep your hands together. Ah, all right, all right, break it up, man. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Not too fast, kid. That guard there's got his eye on us. He's suspicious. He's coming towards us. Keep moving, keep moving. If he tries to stop us, I'll take care of him. Where'd you get that knife? Never mind. Just a moment, you two. Oh, anything on your mind, God? You heard the whistle. Now get back to the exercise field. Line up. Sure, sure. Oh, you've killed him. I'm a little out of practice, but judging by my past experience, I think I've done just that. Murder. Sure, sure. Come on, kid. Let's get moving. Now, here. Here, help me lift this stone. Come on, give me a hand. Don't stand there. Oh, oh all right. Uh, all right. Uh, it covers the entrance to an old water main. Leads into a stream outside the grounds. Once we're out, we're in the clear. Yeah. And there's the hole. Come on, in you go. No. No. Hey, I've changed my mind. Oh, it's too late to rat on me now, kid. You're going through with this. Now get in there. No, Marty. I'll wait. If I get out of here and find my Uncle Judge Bartow has framed that marriage, I'll get him then. I said you were yellow before, and I say it now. You're going through with this chin right into my arms, Junior. Now I'll drag you through that tunnel. And when you come to, I'll flip you to see who kills the judge. The two convicts who today escaped from the state prison through an abandoned water main after having killed a guard have not yet been apprehended. The men are Life of Marty Lagarde and his cellmate, Paul Bardo, who, ironically enough, is a nephew of Judge Bardo, who sentenced them both to prison. Nothing new both on the radio. Both men were Switch wearing And there it is, Margot. That's the reason for the urgent phone call from Edwin to come to Cliff House. Why, on account of the prison break? Uh-huh. They fear that Paul has broken out to avenge himself on his uncle, Judge Bardo. I'm trying to believe that all three secretly fear that they're in for danger. All three, Lamont. Mm. Judge Bartow is Ward Peggy Sanders and Paul's stepbrother, Edwin. You know, Margot, this whole business puzzles me. I knew Paul Bartow before he was sent to prison. He's not a killer. Not the criminal type at all. Well, Lamont, wasn't there some talk at the time of his trial that his uncle deliberately sent him up to prison to get him out of the way? Mm-hmm. But even so, I still can't believe Paul would do anything to his uncle. Well, from a little bit I've seen of dear old uncle, I figured him to be rather an unpleasant person. Well, perhaps a better word would be hasty, Margo. You see, five years ago, his verdict against Paul on the embezzlement charge was... I don't know. Somebody right up ahead signaling with a flashlight for us to stop. Well, do you think we'd better, Lamont, at this time of night? Oh, don't worry, Margo. That you, Lamont? Yes. Oh, hello, Edwin. Edwin? Paul's stepbrother? Right. Good to see you, Lamont. Hello, Margot. Hello, Edwin. Lamont Paul is up at the house now. Oh, I see. Is your uncle in the house, too? Yes, Uncle John is there with Peggy. Oh, how is Peggy? I haven't seen her lately. She's fine, Margot. Lamont, things are very serious. Paul has accused Uncle John of trying to force Peggy to marry me. Of course, that's ridiculous. Well, knowing your uncle as I do... He... Well, Lamont, you know me, too. Think I'm the kind of a man who double-crossed someone I like as much as I do Paul? Believe me, Peggy loves me now. Even if Paul never had been sent to prison, she'd still love me. I see. But Paul doesn't understand that. Well, if that's true, it shouldn't be hard to make him understand it. Margot, four and a half years of prison can do a great deal to warp a man. Uh, just what did you want me to come here for, Edwin? 
Well, I thought that you could reason with him, Lamont. You could persuade him to go back to prison and finish his term. That's a big order. You can do it, Lamont. He knows you and he respects you. Well, I'll see what I can do. But uh, Meanwhile, Edwin, uh, what about Marty Lagord? Who? Paul's cellmate who made the break with him. Oh, I don't know anything about that. As a matter of fact, Lamont, I haven't spoken directly to Paul. I've just heard him talking to Uncle John in the library. Well, let's get up to the house, Edwin. See what we can do about this problem of yours. Peggy! Oh, Peggy! She's probably locked herself in a room. She said she didn't want to face Paul again. Can't say I blame her. Paul must still be in the library with Uncle John. It's right this way, Lamont. Uh, just a minute, Edwin. Wouldn't it be better if we told Paul that we're here first? Very well. Just a moment. You keep quiet. I don't want to hear any more. I won't keep quiet. You, you seem to be it. arguing. Yes, I, I don't think it'd be advisable to go in now. Don't raise your voice in my presence, Paul. I'm sick of listening to your lies. You've done enough to me already. You hear? You're not going to do it. I swear you won't do it. Stop shouting. I'll shut the roots after that pleases me. I Get think we'd room. better go in now. Get out of this house. This is the last time you threaten me. Paul, what are you doing? Paul! Lamont! Lamont, those shots! Come on, let's go in. Where are they? Paul must have gone out through that open window. <gasps> Lamont! Here, Cranston, here on the floor. All right, just a minute now. Better let me examine him, Edwin. Uncle John. Your uncle is dead. Paul's murdered him, Lamont. I knew he would. No, no, no. Get hold of yourself, Edwin. Let's get hold of myself. All right, now. Go downstairs. Phone for the police. All right. All right, Lamont, but it's a little late for them. Things you were wrong, Lamont, about Paul. Yes. Looks like I was, Margot. Say, here's something interesting. What is it, Lamont? This window is at least three feet from the ground. If Paul jumped through here, he should have left footprints in the soft earth outside. I should think so. Well, there are no footprints out there. All of which means he's still in the house. What was that? That's Edwin calling. I guess you were right after all, Margot. Paul must still be in the house. Come on. Thought you'd never find me way down here in the cellar. Are you all right, Edwin? Yes, I'm all right. Well, what happened, Edwin? Paul tried to kill me. As I was calling the police, I heard a sound down here in the cellar, and I came down to investigate. Paul fired at me. Well, where is he now? I don't know. He could have escaped by that open window there. Well, Edwin, I'm convinced now that your stepbrother, Paul... Oh, oh! Down! Down, both of you! He's still here. Lamont, you've been shot. I'm all right, Margot. I'm all right. Lamont! Lamont! He's dead. Paul's killed him. Oh. Now just lie still, Lamont. Uh, where's Edwin? Is he all right? Yes, he's gone to get the doctor. And Paul? He's escaped. Uh, how did I get up here? Edwin carried you up here to Peggy's room. What's that? Well, so, sounds like it's coming from that closet. I'll see. No, don't try to get up, Lamont. I'm all right, Margot. Lamont, please. Oh. It's Peggy. Here, here, quick, Margot. Untie her. Take that gag out of her mouth. All right. Wait a minute now. Let's see if I can get this untied. There. Oh, Lamont, Margot. Oh, thank heaven. Lamont, she's going to faint. Here, Peggy, may I? No. I'm I'm all right now. You, Lamont, you've been shot. Oh, it's nothing, Peggy, just a flesh wound. How did it happen? Paul fired at him. Oh, no, no. He... Yes, Peggy, I, I think he did. I was afraid. I was afraid. Oh, Peggy, you better sit down. Thank you. There, now. How do you feel? Well enough to tell us what happened? I 
don't remember much. I was downstairs. There was a knock at the door. When I opened it, Paul was standing there. And another man, an ugly, terrible-looking man. Did Paul call this man's name? I I don't remember. Marty Lagort? I don't think he called him by name, Margot. Paul asked where Uncle was. He was acting so strangely. He hardly recognized me. I was afraid to tell him, but he hurried Uncle in the library and forced his way in. Did this other man go with him? No, he didn't. He clamped his hand over my mouth and started choking me. I, I guess I must have fainted because that's all I remember until you found me in the closet. Well, Peggy, did you know that your uncle was murdered? No. No, that can't be. Who would want to... It wasn't Paul. No. No, it couldn't have been Paul. You hear me? Well, Cranston, we checked the gun against the bullets that were used to kill George Bartow, and this is the murder weapon, all right. There's no doubt in my mind, Commissioner Weston, that Paul did it. No. No, Edwin, you mustn't say that. Well, it's true, Peggy. Uh, Commissioner, I think that... Cranston, this is an open and shut case. Paul Bartow murdered his uncle, and that's that. No, no, we can just... Paying attention. I bet two clothes. Oh, I'm sorry. I bet two spades. What's that? Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Thing, but... I'm so nervous I must have switched on the recording machine by mistake. Those voices on that record are very familiar. Well, they ought to be, Margot. They're yours and Lamont's. What goes here? Oh, it's just a little hobby of mine. I have a recording machine. I like to catch fragments of conversation and play them back later just as a joke. Ah. I made that record of you and Lamont over a year ago, Margot. Aha! Keeping a permanent record that I don't pay attention when playing bridge. Well, this isn't getting us anyplace. Miss Sanders, you've known Paul Borto since he was in childhood. Now, where do you think he might hide? I know he's still somewhere in the neighborhood. Hide? Well, he... (sighs) Well, I wouldn't know. Uh, Commissioner, if you'll forgive me, you do know that Marty Lagord escaped with Paul Barto. That I do. Well, it may have been Lagord who murdered Judge Barto and took that pot shot at me. After all, Lagord had equal motive to kill Judge Barto. Now, look, Cranston, I'm convinced it was Paul Barto. I'm going to send out an alarm and I'll have him here in 24 hours. Margot, keep watch at that window, will you please? I'm sure that Peggy Sanders will try to leave this house tonight. I'm going to follow her. She knows where Paul would be hiding. Well, that's why she acted so strangely when Commissioner Weston questioned her this afternoon. It was obvious that she was covering up. Well, then you think that she's still in love with Paul. I'm sure of it. In spite of what Edwin says, she's... Wait a minute. Lamont, you're right. Peggy's just slipped out the side entrance. And she's taking the path that leads down to the ocean. I'm going to follow her. Oh, no, you're not. The doctor said you're not to leave this room. But I've got to follow her, Margot. Suppose I follow her, Lamont. Oh, it's too dangerous for you. If I were afraid of danger, I wouldn't pal around with you. I'm going after Now, Margot, you're... And you're staying right where you are. You know, Marty, my... My head hurts. I told you, Paul, you hurt it when you fell down. Ah, uh, how did how did we get here? You brought me here. Funny, I I don't remember anything after we made that prison break. Funny though, this place—it's a cave. This cave and this beach look very familiar. There. Yeah, they ought to. You grew up around here, back up there in the cliff, is your uncle's house. Oh. I remember now. Peggy and I used to play here when we were kids. Hey, now, look. We haven't eaten for 17 hours. I'm going to go and get us some grub. Oh, they'll spot you in a minute in those prison clothes. Not if I stay out of sight. I'll be back in an hour. Huh? 
Oh. My head hurts. Everything's so jumbled up. Paul. Huh? Paul. What was that? Paul. Oh, Peggy. Oh, my darling. I waited until that man left. Paul, you look ill. Uh, It's just my head. Marty said I fell. Did he bring you here? Yes. No, no, he... No, I brought him here. I I don't remember. It's a, it's so hard to think, Peggy. Paul, you've got to get away from here. They're going to arrest you for Uncle John's murder. Uncle... Uncle John's murder? Yes. I don't remember. I, I wanted to. He was forcing you to marry Edwin. Paul, did you kill him? Oh, I don't know, Peggy. Maybe I did. I... Who's that? Who did you bring with you? Well, I didn't bring... Margot Lane, you followed me here. Peggy, forgive me for spying on you, but I want to help you. You can help me by not mentioning this to anyone. Well, what will you do? I'm going to help Paul get away from the police. Oh, running away won't help. He'll be caught eventually. She's right, Peg. It's useless. We can't stay in this cave forever. Margot, Judge Bartow tried to poison my mind, make me hate Paul, make me marry Edwin. But I can't. That's a sad story, Miss Sanders. Oh. Marty! Yeah, Paul, your old friend Marty. It was nice of you to invite Cuppy to our hideout cave while I was gone. Too bad you're not going to be around to enjoy it. What do you mean? I mean that I just called Commissioner Weston on the phone and made a deal with him. If I bring you in, they'll go easy on me when the case comes to trial. What? You're clever, aren't you, Marty? Sure I am. My story that I told the commissioner on the phone was that I tried to keep you from breaking jail. And when you did go, I went after you to bring you back. (laughs) Simple enough? Just a little too simple, Marty Lagorte. Oh, so you got a gun. Why, you don't think that I'm going to be afraid Stop of... Stop coming toward me, or I'll fire. A dame with a little pop gun. I warned you. And your little pop gun won't work, eh? That's the first portion of The Shadow. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the shadow. That's too bad. Now I'm boss around here. I give the orders and my revolver works. <laughs> What? Marty Lagarde. Hey, who said that? The shadow, Marty Lagarde. Don't look for me. The shadow cannot be seen. What do you want of me, shadow? I want to commend the leopard who changed his spots. So you're working for the police, eh, Marty? Uh, Sure. Sure, that's right. Good for you. Shadow, you don't understand. I understand perfectly, Miss Lane. Come, Marty. We're all going back to Cliff House where Commissioner Weston and Edwin Bartow are waiting for you. Hey, now, wait a minute. I... Don't you understand, Marty? Bring your prisoner back to the police and receive the reward for your efforts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shadow. After all, I am working for the police. But, Shadow... This should be interesting, Miss Lane. And quite surprising. Marty Lagarde promised that he'd be here in 15 minutes. And he said he was bringing Paul with him? Yeah, I don't get it. Here's this lifer, Marty Lagarde, turning straight and helping the police. All right, get in there, you. Well, Marty, 
I see you brought Paul Barto with you and Miss Lane and Miss Saunders. Uh, Commissioner, here's your prisoner. Why don't you say something, Paul? Defend yourself. Oh, what's the use, Peg? I haven't a chance. <laughs> Not a chance, Paul Barto. The law gives every man a chance. Shadow, what are you doing here? The Shadow? Thought I might be of some assistance, Commissioner. Well, you're too late. I've already solved this crime. Sure of that, are you? I've got a corpse, witnesses, and the murderer. What more do you want? Who is the murderer? This fellow here, Paul Bardo. That's where you're wrong, Commissioner. Now listen, Shadow, this is an open and shut case. I agree with you. You, you do? Well, that's very nice. You agree. The murderer is right in this room. But he isn't Paul Bartow. Now look, Shadow, my witnesses heard Paul Bartow threaten to shoot his uncle, and they heard the shots. Did it sound like this? But I'm sick of listening to your lies. You've done enough to me already, do you hear? You're not going to do it. I swear you won't do it. Stop shouting. Turn that off. Turn it off. Shout to the rooftops if that pleases me. You can't stop me. Get out of this room. Get out of this house. This is the last time you'll threaten me. Paul, what are you doing? Paul! Is that what your witness heard, Commissioner? What was that? A recording. Played from that loudspeaker concealed in the wall. A recording that was devised by the real murderer, Edwin Bartow, to make his stepbrother, Paul, look guilty. No, no, I don't want to... Don't know anything about it. Edwin, with the aid of his accomplice, Marty Lagarde. Edwin, you... Stop Lagarde, Commissioner. He's trying to get away. Stop or I'll fire. I kill him? No, Commissioner. He'll live to pay his debt to society. As for our friend Edwin Bartow, I think you'll have no trouble getting a confession out of him now. Coming. Oh, Lamont, come in. Thank you. Well? Good news, Margot. Edwin Bartow confessed to everything, even the embezzlement. Marty Lagorte confessed to killing the prison guard and attempting to kill me in the cellar that night. Paul will be a free man any day now. And uh, Peggy was at police headquarters this morning. I don't believe I've ever seen anyone as happy as she is. Oh, I'm so glad, Lamont. Well, I guess I'll be running along now. You see, I oh, have... wait a minute, Lamont. What? You promised to tell me all about the case as soon as it was cleared up. Oh, but you know the whole thing, Margot. Edwin had killed Judge Bartow before we even got there that night. The quarrel we heard was a recording that Edwin had made a long time ago of a dispute between his uncle and Paul. He played it for us to make us witnesses against his stepbrother. And Paul wasn't even in the house at the time? No, poor chap. The crack that Marty Lagorde had given him over the head when they broke prison had given him temporary loss of memory. He was in the cave unconscious while Edwin and Marty Lagorde carefully built up a case of murder against him. Well, what did Marty Lagorde <clears throat> hope to gain by helping Edwin? His parole for catching a so-called murderer. Edwin had talked him into uh, persuading Paul to escape. You see, they needed their framed murderer close to the scene of the crime to definitely pin the crime on him. Came close to succeeding, Lamont. Yes, Margot, much too close. But you know, there's an old saying that murder will out. No matter how cunningly planned or brilliantly executed, murder has a way of pointing to the guilty one and demanding payment. <laughs> The Shadow Program is based on a story copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications. The characters, names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember that it's up to you to help prove to the gangster nations that in the world, just as in the community, the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The Shadow knows. <laughs> 
Next week, same time, same station, your friendly blue coal dealer brings you another strange and thrilling adventure in the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. Be sure to listen. And be sure to phone your neighborhood blue coal dealer for greater heating comfort at less cost. Remember, keep the home fires burning with blue coal. This story was produced by the DLW Coal Company, distributors of blue coal. And that's The Shadow from February 15th, 1942, with Death Speaks Twice, starring Bill Johnstone. And this was a New York broadcast, Lisa and Mike, and it had uh, New York actors and actresses in it. And let me read you some of the names. Marjorie Anderson, she was the lovely Margot Lane in this. Frank Lovejoy, who was really known as a West Coast actor. So I guess in the early 1940s, he must have lived on the East Coast and then moved to California to star in uh, Nightbeat and all the other radio shows. Kenny Delmar was in this. Alan Reed, who was the voice of Fred Flintstone, he lived on the East Coast back in the early 40s, then moved to L.A. And also Alice Frost. This was heard on Mutual. Good episode of The Shadow. Before we tune into the Doris Day Show, I want to remind all of our listeners to go to our website, which is Hollywood360radio.com. We have a terrific podcast there. It's always one week behind, but it's the full four-hour podcast. Uh, we do this show every single week, and it airs on about 180 radio stations, but not all of our stations carry the full four hours. So if you want to hear the full four hours each week, you can listen to your radio station if they play the full four hours. But if not, or if you miss the show, you can always go to Hollywood360radio.com. We have a uh, podcast there. You can listen to it at your convenience. You can Bluetooth it to your car. I can even do that, Lisa. I know. That's crazy. I don't know how I'm You've able to do that. you got some technology skill. But I am. Yeah, that that's, 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 that's great. Crazy. Somebody turned that feature on for you. Yeah, that's and yeah. I think his name was Mike Estella. <laughs> All right, well, it's time for the Doris Day Show. We've never aired any Doris Day shows on the show. Have you noticed, Lisa and Mike, we've been airing some new classic yes, radio shows? Have. I've been getting a lot more shows into the library thought I would share them with our listeners. Now, this was a musical variety show, came to CBS Radio, and Doris Day had many artists and friends as guests on her show that helped her during her meteoric rise to fame, including Danny Thomas, Ray Bolger, Kirk Douglas, Cornell Wilde, Frankie Lane, and it was sponsored by Rexall. It served as a summer replacement for the Amos and Andy show. Later, it was picked up by CBS Columbia to promote a line of high-end television sets, which is interesting, a radio show promoting high-end television sets. I guess they knew radio was on its way out, so they thought they'd give a little boost, uh, the TV series, a little boost. This 30-minute weekly show ended in January 1953, but in March of that same year, it became a 15-minute format running for less than a year on CBS. We have a half-hour episode for you now. And the special guest is Kirk Douglas. And on this show, he sings a duet with Doris Day. It's very cool. Let's go back to November 25th, 1952 for the Doris Day Show. From Hollywood, with Kirk Douglas as our guest, CBS Columbia, makers of America's newest and most advanced television receiver, the CBS Columbia TV set, brings you the Doris Day Show. man. 
Yes, this is Don Wilson speaking to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. And here transcribed is Warner Brothers' lovely singing star, Doris Day. Hi, everybody. Well, to make everybody feel right at home, let's start off with an old-time favorite. It was just one of those things Just one of those crazy things One of those bells that now and then rings Just one of those things It was just one of those nights Just one of those fabulous flights A trip to the moon and got some wings Just one of those things If we thought a bit of the end of it When we started painting the town We'd have been aware that our love affair Was too hot not to cool down So goodbye, dear and amen Here's hoping we meet now and then Cause it was great fun But it was just one of those things with some really exciting news. Oh, and Don, I see you have a couple of guest stars to help you tell the folks about it. That's right, Doris, because this is the most important announcement about the exciting new CBS Columbia TV set. The only TV set with a Powertron chassis. The only TV set engineered by CBS. And so the only TV set, in the opinion of many experts, that can justly claim to be America's top television value. Now, now for some really expert opinion, listen to... George Burns and Gracie Allen. Say, George, doesn't anyone care what the set looks like? Gracie, Gracie, we're talking tactical stuff. You know, tubes, chassis. Hmm. Well, I'm more interested in how the set looks. But, Gracie, this CBS TV set comes in the finest cabinet styles you've ever seen. All right, George, all right. Just remember when they bring our new CBS Columbia set home. New set? Gracie, we've already got CBS Columbia TV sets in every room of the house. Thank you, George Burns and Gracie Allen. And George is right about those fine cabinet styles. But the most important fact is that these sets are engineered by CBS. Yes, friends, see the new CBS Columbia TV sets at your dealers. 
They're really America's top television value. And now, back to Doris Day. You know, folks, most popular songs run in cycles. Why, a few years ago, a song didn't have a chance unless it had a mule train or a wild goose in it. But there's no off-season for songs that speak of romance. And one of my favorites in that department is a wonderful ballad, When I Fall in Love. When I fall in love It will be forever For I'll never fall in love In a restless world like this is Love is ended before it's begun And too many moonlight kisses Seem to cool in the warmth of the sun When I give my heart It will be much more production. Now, the way I see it, it's a sentimental song, right? Uh-huh. Okay. We suspend the orchestra in midair in the shape of a big heart. Then you come sailing through on a king-size arrow. You're made up to look like Cupid and then... Kurt, hold it. Yeah. I've got it. You are Jonathan Shields, big Hollywood producer, as played by Kirk well... Douglas in the soon-to-be-released picture, The Bad and the Beautiful. Thanks, Doris. In fact, thanks twice. Once for the plug and once for recognizing the part. Well, now, there's never any trouble recognizing the parts you play, Kirk. In my opinion, you are one of Hollywood's greatest actors. Uh, what would you say? 
I said, in my opinion, you are one of Hollywood's greatest actors. That's what I thought you said. I'd just like to hear you say it. <laughs> is it true that once you really learn a part, you never forget it? Doris, unfortunately, yes. Why unfortunately? Well, recently I was doing a scene with Lana Turner. And all of a sudden, my mind went blank. I forgot my lines. With Lana Turner? Uh, my lines, not hers. <laughs> All I could think of were the parts I played as a fighter and champion, a hard-boiled cop and detective story, and an Indian fighter in the big sky. Wow, must have been confusing, huh? It was. I didn't know whether to hit her, grill her, or lasso her. <laughs> well, anyway, I know you take all your parts seriously, Kirk. Remember Young Man with the Horn? Never forget it, Doris. You know, there were a lot of great tunes in that picture. Ah, oh, there certainly were, Kirk. It'd be nice to hear one of them again. Say, how about I May Be Wrong, huh? Well, do it right. I may be wrong, but I think you're wonderful. I may be wrong, but I think you're swell.
that's the first portion of the Doris Day Show. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Doris Day Show. Then it's Gangbusters from 1948. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.